Hey, what's up, Vineyard Northwest family? Wilson here. This past weekend, we had the amazing privilege of having Peter Lewis in the house. Peter is the leader and founder of Braveheart Ministries, as well as one of the founders of Upper Room in Dallas, Texas. Um, Peter carries just a powerful revelation about the gospel and an understanding of who Jesus is. Um, this dude just really blessed me with both of his both of his messages. Actually, he preached a different message each service. So if you're listening to the 9:30 podcast right now, make sure you listen to the 11:30 after it, and vice versa. But I really hope you're blessed by this powerful biblical um, teaching on the gospel. And yeah, that's one of the things I loved about it was how he really just walked us through scripture so that I can go back on my own and dive deeper into what he taught me. So I hope you're blessed by these messages. Have an amazing week and enjoy these sermons. Morning. How's everybody? Awesome. Uh, Well, I'm going to preach a similar message I did this morning, uh, I think. Go to John 6. We're going to pray and hop into the word. Um, I don't know if you guys can get the, uh, the other messages, maybe, so it'll be a little different, and, and they'll kind of go together, and so uh, God's unique, you guys are unique, you're different from the people that were here a little bit ago, and so I just feel in my heart, uh, it's in the same zip code, if you will, of what we were doing this morning about abiding in the Lord, and uh, we'll be in John 6, um, so let's just pray, put your hand on your heart. Uh, let's just ask God to encounter us. Father, we love you, we thank you, Lord, that you're with us now. Uh, Though we not perceive it, though we may not feel it, Lord, we are aware uh, and we know in our spirit that you are here with us. And so have your way, Lord. Let your, your, your truth, let your word, Lord, like a hammer, let it shatter the stony places in our hearts, Lord. Like a fire, let it consume us, Lord. Uh, with your goodness and your love. And so just have your way in Jesus' name. If, if you desire that, if you're in agreement with that, instead of saying amen, you're just gonna say, Lord, have your way in me. So on the count of three, just say, have your way in me, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, well, man, it's awesome to be here. I, I know you guys hear this a lot, uh, and I said it in the first service, and I wanna say it again. Uh, I get the privilege of, of, of going to different churches and meeting different people, and, um, and I, I met your team last night, and, and just from the very short time that I've spent with them, uh, this is a very special place with very special uh, leaders, and so you guys know this, um, but I love your pastors, and I love uh, this house, and uh, I just want you to know how blessed you are to be a part of this fellowship. If you're new or if you've been coming here for a decade, um, it's very rare to find the the humility um, that I see here, um, but coupled with a fire and a pursuit of God's presence that's just really, really amazing. And so uh, it just gives me great courage and great hope. How many of you, like you're around the church and you, and you hear testimonies and, and the world is kind of having their hairs on fire and they're freaking out, but kind of like, you, you see God moving, and you're like, man, this thing is on. Like, we've won, you know? And so, like, we don't need to be concerned. Like, I, like when I come to places like this, and you're like, well, this is encouraging about that? Yes, because from, from places like this that are filled with God's love and his light and his presence, this is how the world's gonna be transformed, amen? 
And so I'm just so encouraged, I'm so uh, blessed uh, to be here with you this morning. Um, so I, I, as I was praying and, and, and specifically just, just asking God what he wanted to say to us this morning, I, I felt in my heart that this morning we were supposed to just kinda maybe reset. How many of you have been in the church longer than five years? Raise your hand. You've been in and around the church. Okay, so most of the room. And so what happens uh, when, when we're around the church or when we're in relationship with anyone for a long period of time, the married people can say amen, is you can get tempted to get familiar with that person that you're in covenant with. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that video on YouTube, but it's just a montage of, of husbands seeing their wives on the wedding day for the first time. Have y'all seen that? All the ladies are gonna go Google it after service. <laughs> it's so like sweet and precious, but it's like all these grooms and they're like crying and like amazed because the doors open and they see their bride and there's just this like really just pure thing about it. and. And I feel like when, when all of us were, were born again, we had that with God. We had that sense of awe, that sense of wonder, that sense of joy in our hearts that, wow, God, thank you. You washed me in your blood. You, you forgave me. You gave me your Holy Spirit. And over time, though, we can lose that. And I think one of the reasons we lose that, and specifically in the church, I feel like we can lose that because we, we stop looking at, at what caused us to have great joy in the first place, and that's the Lord. That we, we, we started in the gospel, but that we didn't really necessarily know how to continue in the good news. And so what started as good news became a chore. Anyone, if you're really honest, your Christian life has felt more like a chore than it's felt like, like a glorious good news. Come on. I'm like, the, the things I'm passionate about, it's because I've been desperate to find God where I'm like, man, God, this should not be how it is. I'm not saying we shouldn't go through hard times. I'm saying I read about a joy and a life and a love and fruit that is not present in my life. And so that produced an insatiable hunger in me to find God in his word and to find what's true. Because how many of you know the truth will set you free? The only reason we begin to feel disconnected from God or feel cut off from his presence is because we, two things primarily, you start believing lies about what God's like and you start believing lies about yourself. Amen? You all okay? So, so we're gonna kind of reframe the gospel this morning. We're gonna remind ourselves that the gospel's good news, that it's the power of God to save, that, that not just save from, from sins past, but to save us now, amen? Do you know God has covenanted to save his people? So do you know that when you look forward in your life, there's nothing that you could face that God is not gonna save you from? It'll make you just kind of crazy and wild when you realize that. Because you realize that, man, if I fall in the pool, if I, get, if I get ahead of my skis, if I get in an environment where it's gonna be beyond me, God has covenanted to save you and me no matter what. And that, that should produce in us a freedom and a confidence and a rest and a calmness and a humility that no matter what comes our way, America, <laughs> it's gonna be okay because Jesus is Lord. And I, I am desperate, wherever I go, I'm desperate to see the church come to that place of peace and, to, and stillness and to know that he's God. And, and, and how troubled and concerned I see some believers are is evidence that we've put our hope in something maybe other than God. Because his kingdom is not shaken. Amen? Do you know his kingdom is not threatened by what, what's happening right now? 
You got, we know this, right? We know it here, but we need to know it here. And the result will be peace. The result will be a company of people who can speak truth, who can speak life, and who can demonstrate the goodness of God when everyone else is panicked looking for life. And I'm not saying don't engage in civic duty, don't engage in these issues facing our nation. Let's engage, but let's engage with heaven's wisdom. Let's engage with a posture of humility, a posture of listening, a posture of those who are dependent upon our king. Amen? And so I'm really passionate about that. And so uh, we're gonna be in John 6 tonight. We're gonna have a meal. Amen? How many of you like eating meals? I've been introduced to some things here in Cincinnati. Um, Graters for one, praise God. <laughs> Very delicious. Had some Buckeyes since I've been here. The little chocolate peanut butter glory things. It's wonderful. I love that you guys love to eat. I love that. Really makes me happy. You go some places and they're just food's not that big of a deal. And I'm like, that's a bummer, you know? <laughs> so we're gonna have a meal in John 6. Um, but before I do, I, I wanted to share this. Uh, how many of you like basketball? Just wave at me, any kind of basketball. Okay, good. Um, how many of you know that basketball has a shot clock? You know what a shot clock is? So when the offense gets the ball, they dribble down and there's a clock that starts counting down. And the team that has the ball has a limited amount of time with the ball to do something productive with the ball. Amen? Now, there was a period in, in basketball, as far as I understand, that there was no shot clock. Did y'all know that? There was a time in basketball where there was no shot clock. And so what could happen is teams could get uh, ahead and then they would get on offense, but then they, wouldn't, they would stop playing offense, they would just keep the ball. Because there was nothing in the rules of the game that told them that they actually needed to do something with the ball. So they got ahead and then they just said, well, let's just keep the ball away from the other team and then we win. And how many of you know when you think about basketball, when you think about competition, when you think about the integrity of the game, that compromises the sport? Because now all of a sudden what they're supposed to be doing, which is playing offense, they're no longer doing because there's the, the regulations and the rules and the framework permits them to just kind of sit back in first gear and to just go, all right, we've got a 10 point lead, let's just keep the ball. And I feel in the church a little bit that we have, we have adopted that mindset that we're not aware of the shot clock. Now, I love the grace of God. I love covenant. We're going to preach covenant and grace of God and all that this morning. But how many of you know there's a shot clock? There's a day we're living unto. And it's the return of the Lord. Jesus is coming back as a bridegroom for his people. And I don't want to get into the nitty gritty, but listen, the, the beauty about the Lord coming back is that the Lord is coming back. Your faith will become sight. There is going to come a day when a Jewish man is going to split the sky on a horse and every eye is going to see him and we will be caught up to meet him in the air. This is what your Bible says. We're living for that day. I'm living for that day. I'm mindful of that day. Everything we say and do is unto that day. I know many of us right now, the attention's on November 3rd. We're like, what's gonna happen on that day? And I'm like, no, 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 no. What's gonna happen when the sky splits and Christ comes and he's on his horse? So what's gonna matter on that day? What's gonna matter? Are the economies of the world gonna matter? Oh, I just touched a nerve. <laughs> 
Come on, I'm not saying that we just need to put our head in the sand and not, you know, not care about the things of this world, but I'm saying, where's our heart? There's a day coming that we, God wants us to be alive to. He wants us to be awake to it. And something happens when you begin to hope in the Lord's return, there's a purity that's birthed in your heart. Says it in 1 John 3, he says, we don't know what we're gonna be, but when we see him, we know that we shall be like him. And everyone who thus hopes in the Lord's return purifies himself as he is pure. And I believe that God, I believe that God in this hour is wanting to produce a purity in his bride. Where we've been compromised, where we have been distracted, where we have been pulled into the things. How many of you, in some sense, you just feel the noise? Betsy mentioned it. It's noisy. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to let your mind wander and to lose. Why are we doing all this anyway? Why are we gathering? Why are we... Why, 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 what is this thing all about? And all of a sudden, when you begin to realize that God loves you and on that day he delights to marry you, that's uncomfortable that God wants to marry us. I mean, I, I'm saying that out loud and even in my heart, I'm like, okay, I, I, I get that, I think. Anyone else have that response? You're like, God wants to marry me? Yes, he loves you that much. He wants to marry you. And then when you're joined to him in the, in the air, you'll be with him forever. And our faith is gonna become sight. And that day is called our blessed hope. It's our blessed hope. It's what we have to look forward to. Anyone ever look forward to something? And so I just wanna encourage you guys, there is, a, there is a glorious, beautiful shot clock that is meant to purify your heart. And there's something about, about looking forward to that day that brings a purity to your heart that you could not have otherwise, right? Some of us are trying to purify ourselves by other ways, but I'm telling you, one of the, one of the simplest ways to, to let God purify you is to, is to fix your eyes on that day. And I'll, and I'll give you a practical example. If I, and I know we don't know, but if we knew somehow, today's Sunday, if we knew, if you knew, that Jesus Christ was coming back next Friday. For the example, we're gonna assume that we know. Now, we don't know. I wanna make that real clear. But let's assume we did know. Let's, let's say he was coming back Friday. Because do we believe he's coming back? Do we really believe that? Or we just kinda believe it? We kinda think it's like by and by, but like what if he really comes back? Like I'm not a rocket scientist, but I've done the math and we're actually closer to that day than we've ever been. <laughs> I figured that out. We're closer to that day than we've ever been. Think about that. So what if he was coming back Friday? What would you do differently Monday through Thursday? How pure would your life become? you would begin to orient and rearrange your whole week based on that day, right? Because you're like, man, I don't want that day to happen and I, I need to get my eternal ducks in a row. All right, I, I could preach on that for a long time. <laughs> I said this in the first service. My problem is when I preach is the whole thing is like a Brazilian steakhouse. It all looks so good, <laughs> you know? And so I get conflicted because, but that's okay. The Lord's so good and he's gonna feed us. And so 
Um, is that helpful? I just felt actually I was supposed to just like set the stage with that. Um, it's gotten weird. The second coming has gotten weird. We've used it as fear mongering. We've used it as escapism. We've, we've done all these things, um, but there's nothing about fear mongering escapism. It's that, is that you get to be with him. He's, he, you'll get to hold him and, and see him and be with him. That should be, that should make you hopeful. That should make you glad. That should produce an excitement in your heart. Amen. And if it's not there, can I, can I tell you? Because I feel in my heart, there's many of you who are like, I have not thought about that a lick in my life. And you feel condemned when you hear me talking. And the Lord says, don't be condemned. Listen to that voice in your heart that says, I want that. It was a few years ago, and I read that, and I said, Lord, I, I do not have the foggiest idea of your, of your second coming. It is not, I do not have a hope in your return. I know things I hope for. I hope for certain things. It's aware, it's in your heart. And if it's not there, just ask him to cultivate that hope. Ask him to reveal to you the beauty of that day and the majesty of that. And it's not escapism. It's not like you're saying, well, let's just, you know, it's meant to tether you through storms and through trials and through circumstances which we're in and to, and to keep us in a place of, of, of integrity that we don't just throw out our, our witness and our faith because things get hard and because trials come. That we stay in this place of, man, we're living unto that day. We're living unto that well done, good and faithful servant. And so, this morning, I feel, like, I feel like the whole Christian life is just one giant panini press. You got, you got the second coming of the Lord on this thing, just pressing on us, producing all kinds of goodness in life. And then on the other spectrum of our faith is, is what Jesus did on the cross, right? Those are the two, I believe, motivating factors for the Christian faith. I believe it's the two anchors for our faith, the cross of Christ and the second coming. Hebrews actually says it this way, the definition of faith is this, is faith, faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. What are we hoping for? Come on. What's, what's our blessed hope? So faith is a substance within you that testifies, I know he's coming back. So that's, that's faith over here that, that tugs on us. It's a substance within us. It's not, a, it's not an ethereal thing. Faith is substance. Faith is real. Faith is tangible. You can meet someone and you know what they're hoping in. You know that it, 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 you can touch it, right? But it's also the evidence of things not seen. What is it that we didn't see? When it comes to Christ, because faith is not in an outcome. Are you guys with me? We don't have faith in outcomes, we have faith in a man. Faith is in a man. And so if faith is the substance of what we hope for, what, what was the genesis of our faith? The cross. Well, we didn't see it with our eyes, we saw Pentecost, right? You can see Pentecost. Are y'all okay? You, when Jesus takes a human and dunks him in the Holy Ghost, you can see it. I see that, that person is wow, that's amazing. <laughs> we didn't see the cross, so faith is this, is, this, is this thing that pulls us both ways. It's the, it's the substance of what we hope for, but it's an evidence 
of what we didn't see, and it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You didn't see it, but it's evidence in our heart. We're grounded in it. And the Bible says the only thing that counts is that faith expressing itself through love. And so how do we love? We, we love because we're like, wow, you first loved me. You, you gave everything for me. And listen, you, you, you'll meet different camps and churches and, and places and pockets in Christianity, and they'll focus on one or the other or, or somewhere in between, right? And if you meet a church and all they focus, and they, they only preach the cross and they never preach Pentecost or the second coming, what happens is that Christian life becomes all about them. Because the Lamb of God took away their sins, he loved them unconditionally, he laid down his life for them, and if this is all you ever look at, you won't have a balanced Christian diet. Right? Now, have you ever, have you ever guys been to the church that only talks about this? It's kind of freaky. It's kind of freaky because they're like, their hair's on fire. There's an uneasiness about them, right? What they're saying is true. They're talking about the Lord's coming. We got to get ready. We got to, and there's this, there's this like, they're not settled. But, but what does this produce? This produces a sense of urgency, a sense of awakeness, a sense of, man, I don't want to just, like how many of you, when I started talking about the Lord's return, you're like, uh-oh, we're going there? How many of you? Come on, you felt that. It, that's what it does, is it, it, it's that shot clock. You're like, man, I don't wanna just sit back. I wanna be alive and awake to that day. And so you've got this day, and you've got this day, and then of course we have Pentecost. <laughs> the power of God, the now moving of God, his love being expressed. And, and I feel like for us, we need to have a balanced Christian diet. Like when you are rooted and grounded in covenant, what he did on the cross, you're gonna be able to accurately hope in his return and not produce this, this panicked anxiety. And you're gonna, be, have, you're gonna have intentionality, you're gonna have focus, and you're gonna have purposefulness in your life. Amen? Is that helpful? That was a big introduction. All right, Lord, we love you. So, so John 6, look at this, you got a little clock here, that's incredible. I think it needs to be set back though. I don't think there's enough time. <laughs> um, so John six is amazing. I'm gonna, we don't have time to just like unpack the whole thing obviously, but I'm, we're gonna dive in here because Jesus uh, gives us, um, he gives us a meal. And, and he's gonna, uh, what I wanna do this morning is I wanna teach you how to eat from the Lord. Um, cause, cause you are what you eat, amen? There's so much talk about diet these days, especially in Dallas. I mean, everyone's doing keto and, and all the things, right? All the fitness fads, it's all out there. And we spend so much time and energy learning how to eat you know, natural foods that I think we need to learn how to eat spiritual foods. Amen? And so there's a meal here. And so um, we're gonna just hop in. If you can open to John 6, we're gonna just kinda, we're gonna kinda wade around in the waters. And so if you have it in your Bibles open, it'll be really helpful because we're gonna just kind of go with the Lord here. So, so Jesus just does this miracle. He feeds 5,000 people with bread. It's amazing. Uh, and he goes to another side of the sea. And verse, um, verse 24 of, of John chapter six, it says this. It says, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Say seeking Jesus. Okay, so these guys were winning. They were seeking Jesus. Amen? So watch this, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, well then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, truly, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God, say the bread of God, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Say life. Life. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Now we're gonna stop right here and then we're gonna, we'll go into the, the rest of it. I love Jesus because he's so patient with people. These, these guys that were seeking Jesus were stuck in a works mindset. How many of you have ever been there? You're like, like I, I have to work for God. I've got to work for his pleasure. I've got to work for his approval. I've got to earn something from him. And these guys epitomized that. And, and that's why I love the stories because I, I have been these guys so much in my life. I was these guys. I'm seeking Jesus. I found him, which that should have been, the next verse should have been, they found him and they held a party because they found him. Did you see it in there, 24 and 25? We missed it because we always think that there's something beyond finding Jesus and there's not. Once you find him, it's done, game over, you won. You can stop looking now. And once you find him, then being with him, that's the win. But they weren't there, their hearts, when they found him, they needed to transact with them according to their mindset. And Jesus had to, he had to navigate their belief system and get them to a place where they said at the end of this this text here, 34, sir, give us this bread always. And now Jesus has got them right where he wants them. But watch this. So they found him and, and they said, hey, when did you get here? How'd you come here? And Jesus acknowledges their seeking of him, but he begins to question their motive. You guys see that? Yes, this means yes, and yes means yes. Just because I'm up here, I still see you. I can still hear you. So you guys see that he's now questioning their motive. He says, hey guys, I acknowledge that you're seeking me, but you're seeking me not because, uh, not because you saw signs, but because you ate bread. So he's understanding that the source of their coming for him is actually because they ate the bread, not because they saw a sign. It's interesting. And he says, do not work. So now Jesus exchanges seeking for work. Seeking in the kingdom is the work of the kingdom. Seeking Jesus in the kingdom is the work of the kingdom. You see it right here, because they're talking about seeking, and Jesus doesn't change the subject. He's not schizophrenic, he doesn't just, he's just reshaping their view of what it means to work. And he was actually trying to illustrate to them that they're seeking him, they're crossing the the, the sea to see him was the work. 
So they were actually working, but they didn't know they were working. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, meaning you came to get some more bread, but I'm telling you, don't work, don't seek me for that food, but for food that endures to endure a life which the Son of Man will give to you. Say, will give to you. That's really important. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Do you know why they said that? because Jesus introduced the word work and their bells rung and they said, okay, wow, we, we understand this language. <laughs> He's like, hey guys, don't work for this, work for that. And they go, okay, great, we wanna talk work. What do we do to do the work? And he says, I want you to believe in him. Wait, what? Meaning, when you worked to seek me, I actually want you to believe that I am who I say I am, and if you, if you had gotten it, when you found me, you would have been, it would have been done. Because you would have believed me, and you would have been satisfied, because you would have come to the true bread. But what, is he, what do they say? They say, what must we do? And Jesus said, this is the work of God. You've gotta hear this. This is the work of God. How many of you wanna be doing the work of God? Yeah. You believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, man, I feel like at this point Jesus is in the twilight zone. He just keeps, he's like, guys, I want you to believe in me. And they were like, well, then what sign do you do? What work are you going to do so that we can believe you? They, they couldn't get it. They couldn't get it. He was saying, it's not about works. It's about who I am. It's about me. And the life is in me. And, they, and so he's like, hey, I want you to come to me. And they still didn't get it. And so they said, hey, what work are you gonna do? What sign, what are you gonna perform? What are you gonna do so that we can go, oh, I believe you. And he was like, and so then they, they, they led on, this is awesome. Here they cracked the door and they said, yeah, like, like Moses. See, Moses gave our forefathers bread from heaven. When the manna came, they, they appeal back to Moses, the prophet, because they want Jesus to be like Moses. And they're like, you know, like what Moses did. He gave the people bread. He called down bread and he called down quail. Like that. What kind of thing are you going to do like that? And Jesus sees a door crack and he goes, got him, coach. He's like, he's like, hey, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they, they finally captures their heart and they say, we want that bread. Okay, there's a bread of God that gives life. That's what I want then. I want that bread that gives life. How many of you would like to eat a meal that so satisfied you that you never wanted to eat a meal again, but then you could eat it again the next day and you'd be so satisfied that you'd never want to eat a meal? And so we know, we know the, the rest of this text. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the meal, guys. He's the beginning, he's the end, he's everything. He's the meal, he's the source of nourishment. Now, I know many of you in this place, you might be getting hungry because it's 1244. Now listen to me, this is so amazing. Jesus is likening himself to bread. The new covenant is so amazing because Jesus gives us all these analogies and these teachings and these examples to understand how it is that we commune and engage with him. And he says, I want you to know that I'm like a meal. What happens before you eat a meal? How do you feel? Y'all remember those Snickers commercials? You're like, you're not yourself when you're hungry and someone's like manifesting, you know? 
and then they eat a Snickers and they come back into their right mind? Y'all know what I'm talking about? So how many of you know like when you get, when you get hungry, you have that thing where you start to get hangry? It's like hungry and angry. We say that at our house with the five kids. We get hangry a lot because we're busy doing stuff and I just start getting hangry and we're like, man, we need to feed everyone, right? Because they're getting hangry. And when you're hangry, you don't act like yourself. When you don't have enough nourishment, you stop acting like you. There's nothing wrong with you, you're just lacking the nourishment. And so many reasons, so, so many of us, we, we, we're frustrated and struggle. How come I'm not more patient? How come I don't see more of God's spirit, more fruit in my life, more of the love of God? It's because you're not eating the bread of God. We're not eating the bread of God. It's not something you do once and you never eat again. It's like, it's a meal that you eat. Now listen, we're gonna dismiss for lunch here in a few minutes and you're gonna eat something. Maybe Skyline Chili. (laughs) And you're gonna eat it, and in about 15 minutes after you eat it, you're gonna know you ate something, why? Hear me, Jesus is talking food, I'm preaching the word to you. This is the word of God. He says, I'm bread, you can eat me. You should know when you've eaten God, just like you know when you've had a meal. What happens when you eat a meal? Nourishment comes and you can feel it. You're like, ah, and that that food turns into life and energy inside of you and all of a sudden you eat a meal and you're like, okay, I'm ready to to either take a nap, (laughs) praise God if it's a good meal, I'm ready to rest. <laughs> or I'm ready to move, I'm ready to exercise, I'm ready to walk because now I'm strengthened because I just had nourishment. It's the same with God. You should know when you eat the bread of God. He's, Jesus doesn't just talk and go, well, I'm gonna be the bread of God and give you this little analogy, but you'll never really know if you eat me because it's, we like to keep things vague around here because that way I can stay in control and power. It's not how it works. He wants you to eat of him. And so I'm gonna show you in this text, how many of you know this is a hard saying biblically? The the people listening, they go, this is a hard saying. And we're we're gonna read that here. Look what he says. You keep going, he goes, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, this is verse 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, that you have seen me and yet do not believe, meaning they they found him but they didn't believe he was the real bread, right? He's acknowledging that. And so so jump down to verse 48, because we don't have time, I wish we did. He, He actually goes on to tie it to the last day. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, I'll raise him up on the last day. But verse 48, Jesus says again, I am the bread of life, verse 49. Watch this, this is amazing. Your fathers ate the manna in the, in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And he's about to give us the secret to what this bread is. And he says, in the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now this is so important. The only reason this was a hard saying to the Pharisees 
and to the people listening is because he had not yet gone to the cross yet. They didn't have any concept and they asked the question. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? It's a fair question. He's not talking about cannibalism. How can he give us his flesh? We should all ask that question. If he says, I'm gonna give you my flesh, then we need to understand and drill down and not just pretend like we're more spiritual than we are and that we know what he's talking about. Some of the best things you can do when you study the Bible is you go, I don't have a clue, Lord, what you're talking about. One of my best prayers, and if it's just a pro tip in studying the Bible, you read that and you just say, God, I've got no clue. I don't have the foggiest idea of what that means. How is he gonna give us his flesh to eat? If God, if I can eat Jesus and he's bread and he's drink, how can I consume it? We need to know, right? Come on, are you with me? If you can eat this meal and you know, like, okay, here's how you eat it, you know, then we need to know. So he says, they, they, they argue, how can he give us his flesh? And Jesus doubles down. I like Jesus. He never qualifies anything he says. He's so wild. So he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Say no life in you. We cannot live without this meal. He's not mincing words. He goes, you can't, there's no life apart from this meal. Just like if you were to stop eating in the natural in in some 40, 50, probably 50, 60 days, you'd die. Why? You'd have no life. And spiritually, so many of us feel disconnected. We don't feel vibrant. We don't feel alive. And instead of coming to eat of this table, we try to do. You're trying to expend spiritual energy without getting spiritual nourishment. And it doesn't work. It's a bad bad exchange. And that's why you have burnout. That's why you have people frustrated leaving the church. That's why you have feelings of discouragement and despair and hopelessness and all these things that are rampant in the body because we are not eating. And I believe it's as simple as learning to eat this meal. And I believe, and I'm, I'm, I'm sharing what I believe because we have time short and you can read it and study it in here, that, that his body and his blood the giving of his flesh on the cross, that that cross is a table for you and I to eat for the rest of our lives. That when he died on the cross, he wasn't just getting you from from hell to heaven, he was setting a table for you and I to eat from for the rest of our Christian life. Like he was saying, yes, this is how you get born again, but what's happened for most of us is we got born again, thank God, and we just went on our merry way. And he's like, where are you going? There's a table. There's a table and I want you to learn how to come to this table and to eat the flesh and to drink the blood is to look at the cross, to look at what he did on that cross and to go, I receive you and and your proclamation of love for me, I receive that into my inmost being. That's what eating looks like. I'm gonna take your flesh that was broken, your, your, your blood that was poured out, and I'm going to receive it into myself. Are you guys with me? Is that heavy and, and deep? I know I didn't, we didn't get our floaties on. Just in the deep end. But I want us to know something. There's a reason why we don't eat and there's a reason why we don't, we don't receive that. And it's because we, we judge ourselves unworthy of his love. We really do. 
and I feel it in my spirit this morning, we've believed some really bad lies about ourselves. And you think, how could God love me? Yeah, but I haven't done the things he likes, but, I, but, but you don't know what I've done. But man, I'm, I, I, I've, this relationship that was supposed to work out, it broke, but I, I, I feel like I've wasted all the opportunities God's given me. I feel like I haven't stewarded what he gave me. And we, we all have our different sort of matrix of things that we think, reasons that we think why God can't love us and why he can't pour his spirit into our hearts. And my challenge to you this morning, my question for you is, is he Lord or is he not? Is he your Lord or is he not? Does he have the right to love you when you think you're unlovable? Or are you, are you so convinced that you wanna be right that your judgment of yourself is better than God's judgment of you? He loves us deeply. And we know that here, but it's time that we eat it. It's time that we actually take the bread and we take the blood and we consume it. And, and, I, and I've said this a lot this weekend. I've, I've gotten to spend some time with some of the people in your family here and, and we've talked a lot about this because I feel like, I feel like it's the most important thing we can, we can discuss is how to actually consume God and come to that place where we're going, Lord, I'm tired of just trying to spin my wheels for you. I need to come back to this place where I was born again. I need to come to that, back to that place of the joy of my salvation. I need to learn to eat from that table again. That in the presence of our enemies, friends, God has prepared a table. There's enemies all around, depression, lust, pornography, division, racism, all the stuff, all the enemies are taunting like Goliaths. They're taunting the church, they're taunting us, and they're, they're vying for our attention. They're going, you don't this and you don't that. And God said, I've prepared a table for you. I've prepared a table for you. And there's a meal. There's a meal. And what's so amazing to me, what, what, what touches me so deeply about the Lord is that he wants you and I to eat of him. Like he desires that. He desires for his life and his blood and his flesh and his love. His blood, and, when you think of, of, his, of his body and his blood, think of his love. See, it's confusing, We're like ah, Think of his love. You were, you were designed by God to be nourished by his love every day of your life. And you'll be the most you when you learn to receive the love of God in that way. You'll be the, you'll be the Christian that you've always longed to be when you learn to just simply receive his love. And it feels too good to be true. Anyone? Does that feel too good to be true? That all the fruit you wanna see in your life, you wanna overcome the sin habits and the sin patterns and be more a fruitful witness and a better this and better that? I'm, I'm willing to say with all of my heart, with the deepest conviction I have, if you can learn John 6 and John 15 to just eat, you'll see it all. You'll see revival. 
And, and, I, and this, is, this is friends, and I'm, I'm, I feel this so deep in my heart. We want revival, we, we, we wanna see the power of God move, but I'm telling you, revival starts when you're by yourself in your room, and you're sitting there with God, and you let him love you. I'm telling you, revival in your, in your marriage, revival with your kids, you will become a living, breathing conduit of the love of God and the power of God when you let God love you. And I don't have time this morning, but I'm just telling you, I'm gonna pray for us. Can we stand? There's a whole host of hardwiring that we've grown up with that makes it really hard for God to love us. Oh, when you do the stand, you gotta put the mask. I'm sorry. Y'all sit down. I wanna pray for you seated. You sit down to eat a meal anyway. Y'all hungry? Let's eat. Just close your eyes. I feel the Lord's compassion for so many of you. He says here in my heart, some of you are so hungry. You're so hungry. God, would you feed, would you feed us this morning? Can you just tell him if that's you, just tell him, Lord, I'm so hungry. You know you're hungry because your soul is so tired. And you feel numb towards God. You feel numb towards love. You feel numb towards the presence of God and the spirit of God. You feel like you're going through the motions in your Christian faith. You don't feel hungry for his word or for prayer. You just, you just don't feel any of the things that in your mind you know you're supposed to feel. Or maybe you feel little remnants of it. And I just see him going around and he's just offering himself to you. He's literally giving of himself to you. He's giving his, his flesh and his blood and he's saying, here, take this and eat it. Take this cup and drink it. And you may not feel anything right away. It's, 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 a, it's an act of faith to say, okay, God, I'm going to receive this meal. I'm gonna receive your love. And the Lord's telling me that his love looks like something. It looks like forgiveness. For those of you who need forgiveness, receive forgiveness. For those of you who need mercy, receive his mercy. For those of you who need healing, receive his healing right now. For those of you who need encouragement, receive encouragement. For those of you who need prophetic insight and understanding into the days to come, receive it. It's all in him. Just another 30 seconds, just take, take, take him in. Or teach us to eat from your table. 
God, we repent from trying to find life in other things other than you, Lord. Make us a simple people that are just simply devoted to you and the purity of our hearts, God. I'll thank you that we don't have to figure out all the answers to the world's problems, Lord, that we can just eat of you. And Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Would you become our life, God, not just in, in, in our words, but would you become our life in, in what we eat? God, that we wouldn't just feast on Sundays and then just fast all week from your presence. That we would learn to eat daily, morning, noon, and night, consume of your love. Teach us, Lord. Father us, God. Take us into the depths of John 6 and John 15. Would you father us, Lord? God, would you do something this morning? Would you just draw a line in the sand, Lord? Would there be a crossing over where we would stop doing it in our own flesh and our own strength and we would just learn to eat of you, to abide in the vine? Teach us to feed on you, Lord. And we trust you to do that, Father, because you're a good father. Can you tell him that? Wilson's gonna come up and close us, but for, for 15 seconds, 20 seconds, can you just acknowledge that you trust him with your own words? Can you just commune with him? I'm praying, but I want you to just commune with your father. I loved what Heidi said. There's something in our brain with our lips when you tell God, Lord, I'm hungry for you. I desire you. Teach me to eat from you. Jesus' name.